0: that's Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DDW group void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith.
1: Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hello everyone everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. We're so glad you can join us today. We've been studying about Elijah and uh, how God is taking care of him and blessing him and and providing for him. And we studied last time, or two weeks ago, about how he uh, was led from the brook, Cherith and taken to uh, Zerubbath, a city in Sidon, which was Jezebel's hometown with her father as king over that area, and and how God provided for him and the widow woman. We didn't talk very much about uh, when her son was sick and Elijah raised him from the dead, but uh, we did talk about it when he came back last week. We talked about the confrontation on the mountain but i'm being led by the spirit of the lord to go over that confrontation again you see there's a lot of uh, symbolism i guess you could say with what's going on in america today with that confrontation on the mountain and we're going to go over that but first let's go to the lord with a word of prayer and then we'll get started into today's bible study amen father In Jesus' name, we come this day before your throne of grace and mercy. Father, that we may obtain your mercy and find your grace that helps in our time of need. Father, each person within the sound of my voice, whether live or pre-recorded, I pray they have ears to hear and a heart to receive what your word says to us this day. Give me wisdom. Give me inspiration through the Holy Spirit to preach your word, to deliver your word to your people. And all that is accomplished, may it be, for your honor, your glory, and your praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Glory to God. Join me in our confession of faith to lay the solid foundation for this Bible study today. Amen. It's commonly referred to as the Apostles' Creed. I just call it our statement of faith because it's so powerful. This is the foundation upon which we build. Amen. Just repeat these words after me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven. And sits now at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, for where he shall come soon to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the church is the body of Christ. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. If you got your Bibles, turn over to 1 Kings chapter 18 again. We're going to be going over uh, when basically Elijah came back and was talking with Ahab. I mean that's that starts in verse 17. So 1 Kings chapter 18 turn over to verse 17 to save time I'm not going to read these scriptures but the the subject of what we're going to discuss today goes from 1 Kings 18 verse 17 through verse 40 amen now we've looked over the past several weeks at Elijah in terms of where he's been and what he's done amen I want to focus for just a few minutes on the man himself. Even though we don't know very much about his background. For example, we know nothing about his family. We know nothing about his religious upbringing or training. We don't know whether he came from a background of wealth or poverty. Or even his education, for that matter. The fact is, we don't know any of these things. And... It's relevant from the standpoint that this shows us and and speaks to us that none of these things are important as far as who he is and what he came to do. We do know that he was obedient to the will and the word of God. He went where he was told to go and he went when he was told to go. There seems to be no hesitation at all. In Elisha's spirit, he hears what God wants him to do and he does it immediately. Amen. Basically, what we would say today is that Elijah died to self. He was constantly and consistently at the disposal of God. He was God's man with God's message. Amen. He knew God on a personal level, he was at work both in him and through him. He had no home or family ties or anything else that we could find that would hold him back from serving the Lord. And not because no one would have him, but for the simple reason that this was how he could best serve the Lord. Amen. I I, I see this. And I say, for him, this was great. I mean, if that's what you're called to do, praise God. Hallelujah. The Bible says some people are called to be single. I've met a few of them. Amen. They're not single because they haven't found the one they want to spend the rest of their life with. They're single because they choose to be. And they're content with that. God has created them to be like they are for his purposes. If these people who believe with all their heart, they don't want to get married, they're content with with who they are, and they have a desire to serve God, and if God calls them, they are free to go wherever he says to go. Amen? Let's just summarize a little bit of, of what we've gone over these past few weeks. We've seen the provision of God. As Elijah went to Cherith, he was fed there by the birds and drank water from the brook. And from there he went to Zarapath, And we saw the miraculous provision of the oil and flour as God provided for him, the widow, and her son. And secondly, we've seen the protecting hand of God. Ahab had searched high and low. He questioned everybody everywhere that he could find looking for Elijah he was nowhere to be found. He couldn't find him because God hid him. Amen. Psalms 91 verse 1 says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. For us today, I believe the secret place of the Almighty is found in our place of prayer. Amen. It's that secret place where we can spend time with God. Amen. And that's exactly what Elijah was doing in both Cherith and Zarephath. Amen. Then, we've seen the power of God. I mean, we didn't go over this uh, very much. I think we read the scriptures, but the Holy Spirit had us kind of skip over this for right now. We will return to it. Amen. But he raised the widow's son of From the dead. Think about that. This is the first instance in the Bible of anyone being brought back from the dead. Glory to God. There's a sermon right there but last time we, as I got to that point, the Holy Spirit didn't want me to focus on that but wanted to move on and he's doing the same thing right now but I can guarantee you we will come back and talk about this, amen? Now, we see his position as Elijah stands on God's side. There were 450 false prophets on one side, possibly even an additional 400 false priests, a total of 850, but we know there were 450 there. They're standing on one side of this hill, and Elijah's standing on the other side. Now, the mountain itself is not that high. I believe it's like a thousand or twelve hundred feet above the the valley of the plain. Uh, you know, some places we call it. Well, Israel calls it a mountain, just out of tradition, I guess. But uh, most of us would just call it a, a hill. But Anyway, Mount Carmel wasn't, you know, all that dramatic. It wasn't a huge mountainside, but it is very visible from a long ways away. And that's where God had Elijah tell Ahab to assemble the people. All right? God tells him later on that, I mean, he's standing there, 450 plus On one side and him alone on the other side and God tells him later on that there were seven thousand others in Israel that never bowed the knee to Baal but it makes you wonder where they were at that day amen I think if they would opened this service by singing you know uh, who's on the Lord's side they might maybe perhaps hear Obadiah mumble under his breath to himself I am Sometimes. But I think that'd be it. Because the other 7,000 are still hiding out. Because Ahab's edict that every person who declares to be serving the Lord Jehovah should be executed. But here Elijah is standing by himself, and the king can't do anything to him. I mean, Elijah's doing a truly solo number right here. I mean he is standing by himself facing down the king the king's men I mean he you know the king doesn't go anywhere by himself he's got that guard detail and usually a contingent of soldiers are very close by so he's staring down the swords and the spears and the shields of the king's bodyguards as well as the four hundred and fifty false prophets who are arrayed there, as well as all the people who are standing there. Possibly tens of thousands of people. I doubt that there's very much more than that. It says all Israel was gathered together, but you know, you can only fit so many people on the hillside, amen. But let's let's just cut it down to say five thousand people were on the hill which would be pretty crowded, but it, it would be doable. And let's say many more on the hillside are looking up from the valley down below. So it's possible 10,000 people are witnessing this. Not everyone could hear. Word would have to be relayed. You know, What'd he say? What'd he say? And they'd have to pass it back and forth. But we know that Elijah is by himself standing on the other side facing down all these people and he even says you know that today we will see how god proves you proves the people that he's the one and only one and only amen And Elijah says elsewhere, I, I'm sorry, God the Father says elsewhere, I am God, there is none besides me. Amen. There is no other God but our God. Hallelujah. And there is no other Savior but Jesus. Praise God. And so the stage is set for what we call last week the confrontation on the mountain. Glory to God. So, anyway, in uh, you know chapter eighteen, verse seventeen, Elijah confronts Ahab, and Ahab says, "Hey, are you the one who's been troubling Israel?" And he said, "I'm not the one troubling Israel. It's you and your policies and everything you're doing. You're the one who has caused all of this to come to pass." Now, remember, Elijah just walked right up to the king. And said, It's not going to rain till I say so. And he turned around and left. And it didn't rain. They have had no rain for three and a half years now. Now all of a sudden, Elijah shows back up. The king wants to kill him, but he also wants Elijah to make it rain before he kills him. Amen. Because he's the one who said, it won't rain till I say so. If Ahab had his way, he would capture Elijah and torture him until he made the proclamation to let it rain. But he can't because everyone's standing there. Amen. So anyway, Elijah tells Ahab, meet me at Mount Carmel, bring everybody in Israel with you and bring all those prophets with you too. So Ahab summons all the people. And they all show up at Mount Carmel. You know, when I first read this, I wondered what Ahab was up to. You know, but I I really believe that he is so desperate for rain, he's willing to do anything. Amen. The people have all come to see Elijah. I mean, they're, there's basically two kinds of prophets in the Old Testament there are the speaking prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah they they teach the people they seem to major in areas like prophecy and judgment and unbelief and then there are the miracle working prophets like Elijah and Elisha they never preach very long sermons but Like E.F. Hutton, the commercial says, when he speaks or when they speak, everybody listens. Amen. So I think the people came not only because the king told them to, but they wanted to see Elijah. They wanted to see if he would do a miracle. I mean, after all, this was the guy that stopped the heavens from giving rain for the last three and a half years. I think these people were kind of like King Herod. You know, when Jesus was bound and taken to him, he was happy to see Jesus because he wanted to see him work a miracle. Then again, these people might just have been happy to see the execution of the person who had brought this drought. No doubt they were ticked off. They were as ticked off and mad about the drought as Ahab was. I mean, their crops were non-existent. Their economy was in tatters. A lot of their loved ones had died. And it was all, they thought, the fault of Elijah. So they were hoping to see this guy's head lopped off, bringing an end to the troubles that they were going through. Amen? So, you know, they, I, I'm sure a lot of them in the crowd that they wanted to see the prophet get what was coming to him. And then some others may have came just out of curiosity to answer the simple question, who is this guy? Is he really the mouthpiece of God? Or is he just some crazy lunatic running around the hills? Remember, there were no movies. There's no television. There's no news reports. So what else did they have to do? Hey, Elijah's over here. The king says... We're going to have a confrontation with Elijah. And let's go see what's going to happen. So that's the setting. And like I said, it all takes place on beautiful Mount Carmel. It's a low mountain overlooking the plains of Megiddo and, and the Mediterranean Sea. And as I said, as I said last time, it'd be the home team's advantage because the prophets of Baal and those that followed them were familiar with the area and they are outnumbered you see the prophets of Baal and the worshipers of Baal they believed that Mount Carmel was the home of the weather gods and that's who Baal was he was the chief god over all the elements so they had special sanctuaries built there for that very purpose you remember, I said Baal was kind of like the storm god. He controlled lightning. If lightning is going to strike anywhere, it would probably strike here. I mean, it's the tallest thing in that area and can be seen from miles away. And lightning will always go to the tallest thing. Not always, but you know what I'm talking about. So the confrontation would answer the question once and for all who is the real God. Is it Jehovah, the Lord, or is it Baal? Now, Elijah, like we said, isn't one to give great sermons. But in this confrontation, he makes seven different statements through which we can come to understand the message of this portion of Scripture. He says, first of all, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? Basically, he was asking them to pick whose side you'd be on. Are you with God or are you with Baal? These people, they were basically sitting on the fence. They had not totally rejected Jehovah as being God, nor had they really committed themselves to accepting Baal. They had a little bit of both. They had their Hebrew background and they mixed it with some of the the new religion of the day. Basically, they would say, what's wrong with a little Baal worship? I mean, you got to live and let live, you know. I mean, it sounds like a lot of people we talk to today, doesn't it? They have their religion. We have ours. I'm sure there's a lot we can learn from each other. You know, we don't want to say that. We are exclusively right, and they are totally wrong. I'm sure that, you know, they're right in some of the things they believe. We're right in some of the things we believe. We just got different ways of doing it. You know, can't we all just get along? And that's kind of what they're doing there. Amen. I'm sure, you know, we have our turkey dinners at church, and They have bingo at theirs. We both play in the same Christian softball league. You know, everybody gets along great. I mean, after all, isn't that what religion's all about? Getting along with your neighbor? You see that today. We meet people who say they're believers, but they also believe in evolution. My question for them is simple how can you worship a creator and then claim he's incapable of creating you cannot combine creationism with a form of atheism amen i mean these people that we're looking at in elijah's day they're not what you would call on fire for god but they would be offended if you told them they were cold so if they're not on fire and they're not cold, they're basically lukewarm. And remember what Jesus said that would happen to those that he found lukewarm. Revelations 3, verse 20. Jesus says he will spit them out of his mouth. And isn't it interesting to see this is the same condition that exists in the church in the last days in which we Are living right now. You have a lot of lukewarm Christians, amen? I mean if you took the time to look at the church in Laodicea in Revelations 3, you'd see they had the appearance of spirituality. In all cases they appeared to be spiritual. They appeared to be worshiping God. They appeared to others to have it all together. Well, the scripture says they loved money and clothing. They liked the appearances. And this describes people in today's age as well. I mean, you know, they're talking about in the last days. Well, we're living in the last days. If you can't spend it or wear it, who cares what you do? 1 Timothy 4, you can read that in the last days, men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And When we think of this, our first thought is, well, that certainly describes the people in our day. But this isn't talking about the people of the world. These are the supposed believers in Jesus Christ. These are the ones who are the Christians, so-called Christians, that they will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They're more interested in the fellowship aspects than they are in evangelism. These people are sitting on the fence. You know, the problem with sitting on the fence, that you get Shot at from both sides. The Christians accuse you of being worldly. The non-Christians accuse you of being fanatical. The people on the fence never feel comfortable. Amen. Amen. You cannot. Jesus said it. He said you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to love the one and hate the other or Cling to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We have a lot of churches today that want their God to give them money. That's the purpose of the whole church. Make me rich. Glory to God. Well, Don't let me get off subject. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Sitting on the fence... That's what these people, that's what these Jewish people are doing. You know, if they say they're with the Lord, they're going to be persecuted, maybe arrested, maybe beaten, maybe executed. But if they say they're with Baal, they're basically turning their backs on their tradition and they could be facing judgment. But they're too stupid to realize for the last three and a half years, they've been facing judgment for that very reason. Amen. That's why Elijah says, how long are you going to hang around the middle and not be committed to either side? People would not answer him one word, the scripture says. They remained silent. They said nothing. They just stood there and stared. Have you ever had that situation? You're talking to someone about you know they, They're talking about their church doing this, that, or the other thing. And then you put out some verse of scripture and they hadn't heard that before. They'll just sit there and look at you. You ask them if they've actually received Jesus as their Savior. They just stand there and look and stare. And we wonder why. Well, Elijah... He asked them the question, who are you going to serve? Make your decision. And the people did just that. They said nothing. They just stood there and stared. Maybe they're asleep. This happened to everyone, myself included, at one time or another. I mean, have you ever gone to church, sat through the entire service... Sung the songs, gave your offering, listened to the sermon, shake the pastor's hand on the way out town. Great sermon today. And you go home and during dinner, someone says, So what'd you think of the message this morning? And you can't remember one word of it, let alone the subject. I've been there, I've done that, you know, I confess. It's happened to every one of us at one time or another. So maybe. These people in front of Elijah and the king, maybe they were, you know, mentally asleep. You know, they're there. Well, the king said we have to go there. You know, but our physically our presence is there, but our mind is thinking about, you know, all the money I'm losing because my store's not open or something like that. Maybe they were daydreaming. You know what that's all about. The pastor's talking about the symbolism of the left foot of the beast in the book of Revelation, and you're busy planning your holidays, or thinking about how you're going to grow your garden this year, or thinking that you really need to clean up your basement, whatever. I remember one time I was preaching at a church in Texas, and I asked one guy what he'd gotten out of the sermon, and he told me he never listened. He said he had spent the time planning his calendar for the week. So the people might have been daydreaming or maybe their hearts were really hardened. You know, where it was difficult for scripture to penetrate the hardness of their hearts. I mean, they'd heard it all before. And they'd listened, but they had no intention of obeying. I mean, their their priests and rabbis were, you know, telling them those that were still hanging around were telling them they'd have to repent and turn from their wicked ways and seek God's face and repent of their sins. Then God would hear their prayers. Then God would heal their land. But they weren't listening. They had no intention of obeying anything that the prophets and priests were saying, let alone Elijah now. And what they're really thinking is, you are not going to make a religious fanatic out of me. These people had one foot in Judaism and one foot with Baal. Just like today, you know, the people on the fence, they got one one foot in the world and one foot in church. They want to hear, just as people do today, well done, you're doing great. Keep living the way you're going. You know, today people want to hear, well done, my faithful servant from Jesus But while that's happening, they also want to get the smile of approval from the world. You see, those two things do not go together. If you love the world, then the Lord is against you. If you love the Lord, then the world's against you. If you love Jesus, the world hates you. If you love the world, Jesus is now your enemy. You can't have it both ways, folks. You must make a decision. And the only decision that will guarantee you eternal life is to pick Jesus. If you pick anything else other than serving Jesus, I don't care if you're a trash collector or if you're a soldier in the military or a bomber pilot. I don't care who you are. You could be a... Convicted murderer listening to this broadcast in your prison cell. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're at, what you've done, nothing matters except making the quality decision that Jesus is my Savior. I've asked Him to create in me a new heart. I believe He has, and now He is Lord. Of my life That's the only thing that matters and the proof in the pudding if you want to say it that way is that Every decision you make from that moment forward needs to be How can I serve you Jesus today? And like I said, it doesn't matter what your job is or where you're at or what you've done You could be a school teacher a baker a bus driver, a taxi driver, a policeman, fireman, working on the factory line, owning a store. It doesn't matter where you are working if you are there serving the Lord. And sometimes, and I say this carefully, sometimes you will be led to leave the job you are comfortable in. Amen. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. You will find out. And the Holy Spirit will prompt you that I don't need to be here. Perhaps you are... I'm trying to phrase this appropriately. Sometimes you are in a location... Working that you know is not serving the Lord. It could be a pornography shop. Maybe you're in the uh, pornography business, or you know, making the movies, the pornographic movies, or perhaps you're working in a nightclub or a bar, and you know this is not right, and you're going to be called to close that bar to leave that business whatever it may be and go and start new but all this money I'm making you know what am I going to do trust god god does not want you in that type of environment and he if you leave everything knowing that you are going to trust god he will take care of you Amen? It doesn't matter what you've done. When you're born again, all of that is blotted out. It doesn't matter what you have done in the spirit realm. Now, if you've done something illegal, like, you know, let's say you're a convicted bank robber or murderer or drug dealer, whatever the case may be, in the natural, there is a penalty that must be paid. In the spiritual realm, when you are born again, all of that is forgiven. Amen. When you die and go to heaven and stand in front of the Lord, he's going to see a clean slate. Because when you get born again, all of those impurities are washed away by his blood. Amen. Like I said, in the natural, there may be persecution. You may even die. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? A little bit off subject there. Basically, what we're talking about is you cannot have the smile and the approval of the world and the approval of the Lord. Amen? That's why, you know, I mean, I wonder why people go to church... If they have no intention of obeying what they hear, I think some, I think most people that go to church today do so out of obligation. Amen. I mean, we've all heard of the one that says, you know, oh, we're going for the kids. And we want the kids to, to get a little bit of religion, it's good for them. I mean, when I was a kid, we had a plaque in Sunday school that read, don't send your children to Sunday school. Take them. So we go out of tradition. A lot of times we go to church simply to check the block that I did my Sunday one hour and 30 minutes. I mean, we've always gone to church on Sunday. We do that out of tradition. That's what we're supposed to do. If asked, some people will tell you how long they've been attending the same church. I'm the fourth generation to attend our family's church. The more you talk to them, the less you believe they're even saved. I mean, they're more involved in the organization of the church more than anything. I've been a deacon here for 22 years. My wife is the assistant secretary to the assistant pastor or something along those lines. Some people just go because they have to go. It's like the guy who said, my mother made me go when I was a kid, and now my wife makes me go. And these people are really obvious. They sit there and pout through the whole service. I mean, you see it all from the pulpit, (laughs) amen? You know, you got the yawners, the sleepers, the powders, those that are playing games on their smartphones or texting, you can see it all, people. Some people will try and hide it, but I'm telling you, the pastor sees it all. You can't hide it. No matter how hard you try, you cannot hide it. There are some people who go out of legalism. Hebrews 10.25 says, We are to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And there are those who will assemble if it kills them. Some go for the entertainment. That's a big thing today. A lot of churches, that's all they do is entertain people. They, you know, got the, the nightclub atmosphere with the music cranked way up where you can't even talk to the person next to you. They show films and these cute little video vignettes and, Oh, yeah, they do add a message in there at some point in time, but, you know, we're just waiting for that to get done so the music can start again because that means we can go home. People go to church for all kinds of strange reasons. I had a friend who pastored a little church in Tennessee. I, I met him when I was at Bible College in Texas way back in 1998. I've lost track of him now. But back then, he would attend Bible school during the week, then fly back on Friday night and pastor on Sunday morning, then fly back to Texas for Bible school Sunday night. But he was there, glory to God. He was in both places. He was committed to both places. Anyway, during the time he was there, uh, he was telling me uh, two students from a Bible college near where he lived and was pastoring would attend their services. And he said they were straight-A attendance-goers. I mean, they were always there. And they not only went to every service he preached, but they made up a little form. They critiqued every message he gave. This form had several points about the quality of his message and whether or not his illustrations were effective and the appropriate of his gestures, the quality of his speaking, the tone of his voice. And they gave him a letter grade on every message. And they handed, They would hand him the forms on the way out. He said, sometimes they were brutal. I said, how do you stand for that? And he said, well, at first I couldn't. Then I decided I wanted to do such a great job that they'd have nothing to criticize. And slowly but surely, it made me better. And the critiques got better. Hey, Amen. I wonder if either of these two people ever got into ministries, amen, and use the same critiques on their own messages. There's one person who goes to church very regularly and is unsaved. He's a regular attender in church and is going straight to hell. And that's the person who's deceived. You heard my testimony before. That was me. If you ask me if I was saved, I say, oh, yes, amen. I was baptized when I was young. I've been through the communion classes for the Lutheran Church and became a member of the Lutheran Church. Oh, yes, amen. But my lifestyle was far from Christian. And there are those people in every church who will attend every service they're a part of the very fabric of the church but they will never be saved they're deceived the scriptures say they are there I know I use this passage a lot of times to refer to the liberal crowd but it also fits the one who claims to be a fundamentalist very active in the church very far from the Lord If you turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 23, you don't have to turn over there. I'm just going to read it for the sake of time. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name? And we've cast out devils in your name. And we've done all these wonderful works in your name. Then I'll profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Listen to what it says about this person. He preached, he cast out demons, did many wonderful works. He probably got awards from various Christian organizations and churches for all that he did. And they will not realize until the end. they've been working for a salvation that was freely provided that they never accepted so some come for the wrong reasons others come with the wrong attitude thankfully many still come because they love the lord amen shout amen i think if we're here with a prayerful heart god will bless us even if the message is something on the, the seven sneezes of the boy in 2 Kings 4, where Elisha raises him from the dead. Amen? And so we ask, why didn't these people standing there that day say anything? I think the reason's simple. They realized Elijah's challenge was not to Baal. It was to the unbelief of the nation of Israel. That's why he asked them, how long are you going to do this? After all, you can't wait forever. In verse 22, he says, I stand alone. I, even I remain as the only prophet of the Lord. And we wonder where the 7,000 believers were. Why it is that none of them stood with Elijah. Edmund Burke once wrote, evil men triumph while good men Stand by in silence. There was a big crowd there that day. There may have even been some believers in the crowd. But if there were, they never said a word because of peer pressure. I think the reason Baal worship spread so fast and so far was because nobody objected to it. The lukewarm believers must have hated Elijah because he was exposing their feeble attempt to please a holy God simply by their verbal profession of faith. Oh, I believe. I think the Baal worshipers hated him too because he said they were there to lead the Jews away from the one true God. One thing we know for sure, Elijah was not there to make friends. And boy, can I relate to that. He was going to step on some toes that day. Praise God. He was a God's man with God's message. When you think of it, basically we're in the same situation he was. We have an unpopular message today as well. It's not only the fact that people are sinners and separate from God, but it's the reality of hell that awaits them. People don't care. Uh, hearing about the love of God and how wonderful God is and how wonderful heaven is. They don't mind messages like that. And that's the... Basically, that's the message you preach at funerals. But it's being preached in churches today because it gives everybody a warm, fuzzy feeling that everything's gonna be all right. And everyone could go home feeling good about themselves and clapping for themselves and patting themselves on the back because they were in church and they heard a great message today. Now I realize there are times when we can't say too much, but every once in a while we have an opening and you have to take it. You have to step on toes sometimes. That's why Elijah said, I'm standing alone here. I, even I am the only prophet of the Lord left. He was there with a message. He wasn't there for the group hug, amen? We have a proposition of a contest here. In verse 24 he says, you call on the name of your God, I'll call on the name of my God. And whoever answers by fire, let him be God of all. And all the peoples, that is, hey, yeah, that's well-spoken, which is another way of saying, now there's a great idea. Because if Jehovah answers, then he wins. But if Baal answers, he wins. Whoever wins or whoever answers, we win because we get to see a miracle. You know, it's kind of like a fireworks competition. And if nobody answers, the people could ignore both of them. As far as they were, as far as these, these group of people was concerned, they were in a no lose situation. I mean, if, God answers, we'll follow him. Baal answers, we'll follow him. If nobody answers, we don't have to do anything anymore. In verse 25, Elijah says to them, okay. Elijah says to them, you go first and choose your bull, your bullock. Dress it first. Call on the name of your gods, but no fire underneath it. He says put no fire under it because he doesn't want any tricks. So they choose it, cut it, they call on their God from morning till noon. They cry and scream, they leap on the altar, they cut themselves with lances and swords, their blood's pouring out on the, on the, the altar that they've made. They dance and cry, but still, their God does not hear them. It's not like I want to give them credit for believing, but they did believe It's just they were wrong, but they were definitely sincere. If sincerity could save anybody, these people with what they were doing that day, praying, shouting, dripping with blood, they would have been saved, but they weren't. They were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. Amen. You see, our faith, Folks, is only as good as the object of our faith. John chapter 4, verse 24 says, They that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We have to be in the right relationship with God, which is in the right spirit and according to the truth, just means we have to repent of our sin and trust God to save us. People trust in their church membership or in baptism, or the fact that they've come from a Christian home. But as the hymn writer said, nothing can take away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay, now notice, while all this is going on, Elijah's standing over there mocking them. This is really something when you realize he was there all by himself. I mean, it's one thing to mock someone when you're part of a crowd but he was on one side by himself and all of Israel that had been identifying with the false prophets were on the other side. And he's mocking them and they just got them madder and madder. What he says is, look how puny your God is. Then he says this by shouting, cry louder. I mean, maybe he's talking to someone and he can not only carry on one conversation at a time. And he says, maybe he's pursuing, which is, Another way of saying in that day that he's gone, he's he's busy going to the bathroom, or maybe he's gone on a trip. After all, your God might have gone out to sea to protect some sailor in a storm. You can't expect your God to be everything at one time, can you? Maybe he's asleep. Shout louder and wake him up. I mean, he has to rest too, doesn't he? Besides what Elijah is saying, it would almost seem like their gods had been mocking them also, because it also says, they cried louder, which is another way of saying they started yelling their heads off. They cut themselves, their own blood gushing everywhere. I mean, these people were stupid, but they were sincere. I'm not belittling their faith, just the focus of their faith It's like... It's kind of like the Jehovah Witnesses. I mean, we see their beautiful buildings and how they take care of their property. Then we see their people nicely dressed, going door to door on Saturday mornings. There's no doubt about their sincerity, but they're still lost. So in spite of their belief and everything they did, verse 29 says, nobody heard, no one responded. What a comparison to Are all-caring, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty God. Hallelujah. He hears the whisper of a child's first prayer. He never leaves us nor forsakes us, Scripture says. And Scripture says that he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He's always watching, always listening, always moving in a believer's heart. And then the time comes for the evening sacrifice. And Elijah says, okay, my turn. Come over here. I want you to see what I'm going to do. And he wants them to see that there's no tricks. There's not going to be any sleight of hand. What he's saying is, don't just look for the fireworks or you're going to miss the point here. There's something I need to show you and teach you and make you remember here. Not just something to see. So he tells them to set up the 12 stones. That represents the 12 tribes of Israel. God is using this, Elijah is using this illustration to take them back to the basics of God. So that's what's important. You just can't have fancy shows and loud music. Sometimes it takes taking people back to the basics. To make them realize how worldly they've become. It's something that you don't see in a lot of churches today. They think they have evolved past the basics. We worship God on a higher spiritual level in our church. Give me a break. Sometimes you have to go back to the basic fundamentals upon which our faith is built amen so here elijah is pointing the people back to the first covenant that they had with god you know the story about Vince Lombardi you know he if they lost the game or at the beginning of training season he would take a football into the locker room and start with the basics he'd say gentlemen This is a football. And these X's and O's, the X's are there to stop. Well, this is a football. The objective is to take this football across the enemy's goal line and score points. That's the offense's job. The defense's job is to stop the other team from crossing our goal line and scoring points. That's the basics, gentlemen. And that's what Elijah's doing here. He's taking them back to the basics. So he had them build an altar. Obviously, there had been an altar there because the stones were there. But the fact that it was broken down was evidence that Jezebel had ordered them all. Every altar to the Lord was to be destroyed. They had no use for it anymore anyway since they stopped sacrificing because they allowed the world to influence their thinking. After all, if they were no longer conscious of their sins, then there was no need of a sacrifice. We see that in today's world as well. People are not conscious of their needfulness of a Savior. They think, well, I'm doing the best I can, and when I get to heaven and knock on the door, I hope that you know he'll look, away so, well, you, you tried your best, and you didn't live a bad life. Come on in. That's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. The only way you will ever see heaven is if you receive Jesus as your Savior while here on this earth. Because Jesus even taught about the old uh, beggar Lazarus and the rich man. It says Both of them died on the same day. The rich man was taken straight to hell. Lazarus was ushered to the bosom of Abraham. You know, you're not going to see heaven and, and stand up before God and plead your case. I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't date girls who do, and all that. It's not going to be that way. You must have Jesus as your Savior. But here, these people. We're not conscious of their sins just like people today are not conscious of their sins and then they get mad when you point out their sin to them so the broken altar was evidence of their broken fellowship with almighty god then he dug a trench this was to show a separation of the people from the holy ground of the altar Then he butchered the bullock. Notice it was not a lamb or a bushel of grain or a couple of turtle doves. What he was offering was prescribed by the law for the high priest or the prophet of God. He was declaring to the people and to God that, yes, he was a sinner in need of a sacrifice. He wasn't standing above them pointing out their sin. All you sinners out there, can't you be God's man like me? No, he was identifying himself with them. After all, we all have to be cleansed from sin before God will use us to lead others to the place of salvation. You cannot lead someone to salvation if you don't believe in that salvation. Now notice who's doing all the work. Elijah, the prophet, was leading by example here. Now he turns his attention to the people and says, go get 12 barrelfuls of water. The first thing we'd ask is where? Where are you gonna get the water from? Water is precious. It's a three-and-a-half-year drought. Where are you going to get the water from? Well, they are on top of Mount Carmel. At the foot of the mountain was the Mediterranean, the Mediterranean Sea. It's significant that because it's salt water, Leviticus 2.13 says, there are no sacrifices to be offered without salt. So they were probably doing some type of Of distilling of the sea water to make it fresh but he says go get that go get 12 barrels of this salt water and bring it here so they weren't just soaking the wood they were doing the whole will of God they were pouring it over the sacrifice this is the salt salt was used to give the sacrifice a sweet smell rather than the odor of burning flesh Salt also keeps away the insects, and in doing so, keeps the sacrifice pure. So Elijah set up the stones, built the altar, dug the trench, gathered the wood, butchered the sacrifice. Now it was their turn, the people's turn, to participate and identify with the sacrifice by pouring water on it. Once that was done, Elijah turns to the people. And says okay now it's time to pray and elijah prays it's interesting to see his prayer as compared to the prayer of the prophets of baal they prayed for about eight hours he prays for 20 seconds his prayer is summed up in two verses verses 36 and 37 lord god of abraham isaac and of israel let it be known today that you are god in israel that I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back again. And God's response was immediate lightning fell fire fell it consumed the sacrifice it consumed the wood it consumed the stones it consumed the water it even consumed the dust there was nothing left that was no ordinary fire because everything burned stones and all the fire of god the people saw that day brought them back to their senses It says, they fell immediately shouting out, the Lord Jehovah, he is God. Lord Jehovah, he is God. Amen. We see fire consuming offerings throughout the Old Testament. The offering of Abel in Genesis 4, verses 4 and 5. Genesis 15, God came down in a flame of fire to consume Abraham's sacrifice and confirm his covenant. Sodom and Gomorrah were consumed by fire. In Exodus, Mount Sinai, on Mount Sinai, fire appeared to indicate the presence of God. God appeared as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night as the Israelites traveled through the wilderness. The Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai as God descended in a form of fire. God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. The fire of God fell and consumed the people who opposed Moses in his, in his day. The sons of Aaron were killed by fire when they offered strange fire to the Lord. Fire fell on the sacrifices of the brazen altar as Solomon finished the temple. Scripture says the fire of God fell and consumed the sacrifices the book of Hebrews tells us that our God is a Consuming fire in each of these situations the fire is always representative of the presence of God So God's presence came back down in the midst of his people that day Then Elijah turned around the people had bowed down on the ground shouting out. You know Jehovah is God And Elijah turns around and says, Seize these prophets of Baal. Don't let one of them escape. Then he told the people to confess their sin and deal with their sin in their midst. You have to deal with your own sin before you can deal with the sin of others. Amen. Back when I lived down south, A few of the churches I either attended or preached in, it was common for a preacher to call someone out right in the congregation on Sunday morning and confront them with their sin. Gossip's not a problem down there, eh, amen? I mean, they'll call you out on it. At least that's the way it used to be. I don't know if it still is. That's 20-some years ago. A couple months ago, I heard about someone who was at John MacArthur's church out in California during communion time when they're taking the Lord's table. He read the name of a member who had left his wife and was living in sin. The pastor and members of the board had gone to see this man, and he refused to repent. So now they read his name out of the membership but with the idea that the people would continue to pray for his repentance. I mean, this is a huge church, 10,000 members or so, and they do this every month. You'd expect that churches that do this type of practice, you know, it'd be kind of hard to disciple people and have them join the church. But the opposite is true. You see, membership to a church means something. It's just not, yeah, I'll go here for a little while and, Till they make me mad, then I'll go somewhere else. No, membership means something. It means you are a visible expression of that body of Christ. The people know you care enough to go after them if they're living in sin. Amen. You know, there are three principles that I want to bring to your attention of what we covered today. The first, is God's not worried about numbers. Amen? After all, I mean, with this example, the score is 450 to 1. But as Elijah shows us, when you're with God, (laughs) you're on the winning side. Amen? It didn't matter if they had 400 or 400,000. God was going to display his power for his purpose. And that was that. It didn't matter what the devil said. It didn't matter what the king said. It didn't matter anything except what Elijah said, his words. Lord, show your people today that you are God and you're turning them back to you. Amen. The second principle that I want you to take away today is that God uses people that have faith in God's ability rather than those that are just preoccupied with problems. As someone said, we all face brilliant opportunities disguised as unsolvable problems. In sales, they say, find a need and fill it. We need to learn to pray when we face difficulties and then allow God time to work it out. And usually it will be through us or someone we are asking to pray for us, they will have an answer from the Lord. I'm not saying all the time. I'm not saying soothsayers. And I'm not saying, you know, oh, I'm coming to the pastor. Okay, pastor, tell me what to do. I'm here. Tell me what to do. Well, if you do that to me, my answer will be clear. What does scripture say? What scripture are you standing on for the answer to your prayer? Because you have to have that solid foundation like we talked about at the beginning of the broadcast. The third principle is that Elijah teaches us God is more concerned with our availability than with our ability. I'm sure that of the 7,000 people who God said had never bowed their knees to Baal, there is probably one or two who are much more eloquent speakers than Elijah. They may have had the ability, but Elijah had the availability. Amen? I mean, I am not an eloquent speaker. My so I still say ain't and stuff like that. Y'all, uh, from the time I was down south, and when I'm up north, I have the A. Hey, how about that sermon, A, eh? from the Canadian in me? So, you know, uh, my eloquence isn't up there. I don't have the fancy degrees and the Harvard accent or anything like that. I just speak what the Lord gives to me. It's not your ability to do things for God. It's your availability to do things for God. And when it comes right down to it, when God uses ordinary people who are willing to be used, it's then that God gets the credit. Amen? I said at the beginning, Elijah was looking to settle the question, Who is the true and living God? And I don't believe an intellectual conclusion is enough. God's not looking for people who are convinced. He's he's looking for those who are committed. Amen? When you're committed to something, you go for it all out. Nothing else will distract you. If you're just convinced, then people can give you other things to look at to try and convince you to their way of thinking. That's why the prophet asked the people the question, how long are you gonna halt between two opinions? So I'm gonna ask you today, right now, who is going to be in charge of your life, of your future, of your eternal destiny? You or God? No one questions your sincerity. I'm not doubting whether you go to church every week or not or whatever you're telling me you're doing. I'm not doubting that. I'm asking you, what and who are you trusting in? You can have a great church, 10,000 members, but the church cannot save you. You can be baptized every Sunday and go under the water. But if you go under the water lost, when you come up out of the water, you're just as lost as you you were when you went in. You can take the Lord's table. You can take communion every month or every day. You can eat all the bread on the plate. You can drink all the juice in the little glasses. But if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you'll be just as lost as the drunk out on the corner. And a lot of times that drunk is more of a believer than people in church. All these things are great, but they're all evidence of the relationship that we have with him, Jesus. That's what communion's about. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. None of these things takes the place of of the reality of knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. I believe all we have to do is, as the Apostle Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. If you have never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to become your Savior, your Savior, not your mom and dad's Savior, not your parents' Savior, your grandparents' Savior, your Savior, I ask you to pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, I recognize my need for a Savior. You know, I may have thought I was doing the right things, but Lord, I realize now it was for the wrong motives. I don't really need the approval of people. I need the approval of you. Of God the Father so I come to you this day and ask you Jesus forgive me of all my sins come into my heart take over my life become Lord of my life order my steps Create in me this new man one that loves you and one that loves our father and is loved by our father Thank you, Jesus, for doing that for me. And I thank you, Father, for sending Jesus to save me. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. If you prayed that prayer, do me a favor. Email me at brotherbob at ftfm.org and let me know. We want to rejoice with you. If you need a Bible, let me know that, and I'll send you your own Bible absolutely free of charge. Till next time. Pastor Robert Thibodeau will tell you, be
0: blessed in all you do. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's FTFM.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.